0: Joy to the world, the Lord has come. If you're like me, and you probably are, uh, this while we're going through this Christmas season, lots of songs are going through your mind. Uh, this song, taken out of Isaiah, has been going through my mind. Uh, for unto us a child is born, that for unto us a child is born. That that uh, tune has been running through my mind. And his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You know, that's our Lord. That's our Jesus. That's who we're celebrating this morning. And it's on his name, on that name, that we've hinged, as it were, we've attached, as it were, our eternal welfare. Stop and think about it. You've decided as a Christian, I've decided as a Christian, that the most important thing to me, to you this morning, is not our surroundings. It's not material things. It's not whatever. If we're truly a child of God, the most important thing is whether we're going to make it to heaven or not, and whether we're going to be with Jesus, and that Jesus is our Lord. And master. And for that reason, we have we're here. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. During this season, we've hear a lot of other things. The world has switched around, or maybe Christianity has taken the Christmas or the winter season to to propagate its message. The Catholic Church, perhaps. But that, to me, doesn't really matter. It's a time that we can stop and think, stop and celebrate with the rest of the world who takes the time to do so, the birth of Christ, reflect on the birth of Christ, the beautiful Christmas story, Christ coming in a manger. And this morning, that's what I'd like to focus on is, is the babe in the manger, who he really is, and what he really means to us. If we read the Luke story, if we read through the Luke account, if you want to turn with me there. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it. But I'd like to go through and just, just look. I, in fact, I'm not even going to read all the verses. Let's just go down through and look at, at what the world hears for the most part and thinks of for the most part during Christmas time. And what we do too. But I think it's so important that we see the big picture. Okay, so we we get into the Luke story. Luke 2, it came to pass in those days. It's the Christmas story. It came to pass. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be taxed. And uh, then we, of course, have Joseph and Mary. Uh, Joseph goes with his espoused wife, being great with child. Child conceived of the Holy Spirit. But being great with child, so we hear a lot, we, we hear child. She brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the flock, keeping watch of, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. and The glory of the Lord showed around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe, the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And then we go down to verse 16, and the shepherds come. They find the babe lying in the manger. 17, uh, we find concerning this child, they, they made haste, they wanted to see this child, and the shepherds wondered, said Mary kept the, all these things in her heart. But we hear a lot about the child and the babe, and for good reason. It was the babe conceived of the Holy Ghost. It was the babe which was Mary's child. Joseph, his surrogate father, but God was his real father, is his real father. We need to get closer, though. This is Christ, God incarnate, having come down to man. And so much of Christendom, I'm afraid, celebrates the babe in the manger, celebrates the child, but doesn't celebrate God like they should. In Revelations 1, 7 and 8, I'd like to read these two verses. If you would turn with me to Revelations one seven and eight. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and all they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. What does it say here in verse 7? And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall, what? Wail because of him. This babe in the manger, it says, that about the same person there will be kindreds, all nations of the earth, which will wail, cry out, be distraught, be in distress because of this babe in the manger. Why? Because they ignored him. Because they ignored him who he really was they saw the story they heard it it made him feel good they maybe read it before they gave out the gifts or maybe they just you know heard it in a little storybook but they ignored the real god incarnate that the babe in the manger who he really was who he really represented i'm afraid many christians who are celebrating christmas today are going to wake up on the morning of judgment, wailing because they don't know the real babe in the manger. Who is he? I'd like to turn to, if you'd turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. This wasn't in my message text, but I was uh, at a job waiting on an inspector and had about 30 minutes to burn and had already made phone calls and the inspector still hadn't arrived. and So I did what all good droid do, owners do and I opened up my new King James Version. And sure enough, up pops Isaiah 40. And I read through this and I was just so so blessed as I read it. Um, Naaman was mentioning all the, the hullabaloo that goes on around Christmas time. You, I, I, just, I dread even going anywhere just towards road during this time. And as I read this, I had to think, you know, this is, this is the real thing. Let's read uh, 40 verse 18, Isaiah 40 verse 18. To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth for change. And he, he that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, or he that's so poor that he doesn't really have anything else to offer, chooseth a tree that won't rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. And let's drop down to verse, maybe let's just drop down to verse 26, 25. To whom then will you liken me, or who shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold he, behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them by names, by the greatness of his might. that he is strong in power, not one faileth. And he's talking about the stars here. And I had to think of that in reference to our Christmas experience. You know, the, the star that directed the wise men to the manger. The, the one Isaiah is talking about here was the one who was able to call that star and say, you know, shine on that house over there. That's where you're going to find the king that is to be born. That's where you'll find that person, that incarnate, God incarnate, that is come to earth. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't understand the whole story either. But it was him who directed the star to shine where it was supposed to shine. He brought them out. The wise men from wherever they were and, and brought them over there. It says, he calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. So he has them all named. For he's strong in power, not one faileth. He giveth power to the faint. verse 29, to them that have no might, he increaseth the strength. Beautiful passage. I'm going to stop there, having missed maybe the most beautiful verses in 30 and 31. But let's go back to the message text. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is God. God incarnate come to man. This baby in a manger. This little baby there. How could they know? How could Joseph and Mary know even after they've been told in a vision. How could they really understand how great a child they had in their arms? I don't don't think it was possible for them to really fathom that. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made so out of nothing he made something he made the earth he made us he made the animals this is the babe conceived of the holy spirit this is the word the word was made flesh as it says later this is the babe conceived of the holy spirit born of the virgin mary sought by the wise men heralded by the angel, by the shepherds to the shepherds by the holy angels and whose infant death was commanded by this greedy and jealous Herod. Now, Herod, you know, had a history. He had killed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law. I think he had killed maybe two or three brothers, if not some of his own sons. He commanded the death of all the infants there in Jerusalem. He's a, a wicked man, would do anything possible to retain his power how little he knew of the power he was up against. He could command, he could have killed, take the ultimate, uh, you know, of, of mankind, their death, but he didn't, he couldn't touch this baby. He didn't know that really, but he'd find out. You shall find this babe, this God incarnate, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. What a simple, humble way to bring God into the world. John 1:14. and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Christmas story begins with the babe, the child, when the word becomes flesh and dwells among men. It was announced again by the angels to the shepherds. The wise men saw it. They saw the star. They came to worship God. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 talks about this God incarnate that came to live among men. He is the image of the invisible God, the image. What we can see of the invisible God, the revelation of God to man. We can't see into, or things have to have, have some sort of body for us to be able to see, them. we can't see into the wind if there's, and see whatever else might be out there. That's not visible to our human eyes. So God brought himself into the world, made himself visible. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. And why is he the firstborn over all creation? For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him, for this child born in a manger, by him and for him, for this babe, the wise men, Inquire for him and by him are all things created. He is before all things. He is in the forefront. In all things, ahead of his brethren. And in him, all things hold together. By his might, by the power of his might, the universe is held together. It's a sustaining power that just doesn't let Things go swinging out into space and into oblivion. I find it interesting how that Herod tried to kill the the creator and sustainer of the universe not knowing that his own life was hinged on Christ's sustaining power. Of course, he didn't have the power to do that. But I just had to think of it. You know, if I would stay, step into the space shuttle, I would step into there and me not knowing much more than how to pound a few nails, maybe. I'd step into this thing and, you know, here's the whole space crew and they're ready to lift off. And by the time this thing lifts up, I say, hey, guys, I'm going to take over. You know, and I shoot every one of them. That's kind of what Herod was trying to do, you know. I wouldn't do much good flying into space if I didn't know anything about that, how to operate that thing. They have crew members, people that trained for years to know how to Operate, know how to react, how to respond uh, to the different stages of going out into orbit, of orbiting. Here was Herod, and he, he, had, he was in a much worse scenario. He was saying, You know, I want to take out the life of the one that sustains the creator and sustainer of the universe. Look at this. It was by his power, and this, always, this never fails to amaze me the power of God that the uh, sun backed up as a sign for Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah, when he was given the choice to either have the sun move ahead or back up, on the sundial, he said, I want it to back up. He said, it's not so great a thing to move it ahead, and I'm not exactly sure what, why he thought that. Maybe he thought God could just speed up things a bit and move the sun out. But he said, it, it's you know to bring it back, now that's, that's truly great. So God did that for him as a sign that his life would be um, lengthened It was by his power that the moon stood still by this child that's in the manger here that we're reading about this morning. We've been studying about who we're celebrating. It's by his power that the moon stood still at Joshua's request. And this to me is is phenomenal. It's one thing to set things into motion but it's another thing to be able to control that motion. And I had to think about it as I was studying this, how that man man and himself tends to put things into motion he can't control. Banks have done it, and banks have bankrupted, and governments have provided bailouts. And we, we see it in other areas, too, where man starts something he can't stop. I was reading here an article kind of a frightening article here recently about drugs, penicillins, uh, antibiotic drugs, and how that there are coming there are being more and more super, super bugs coming out that are able to quickly uh, gather the information of, of these different antibiotics and and build resistances to them and and they say they're coming out of India and China, some of those places where they're really free about giving out antibiotics. And uh, I'm not here trying to give a Scrooge sort of message this morning, but they're they're simply not being able to get antibiotics that are strong enough or or smart enough to to control these mutations. And it's just a, an evidence how that man starts something, but he can't. He ultimately he d- can't really control the outcome, and and keep it in, in form. Or God can. He keeps control of the universe. This is this babe in the manger we're talking about. Herod tried to kill him. He was angry that this babe was to be called king of the Jews. Herod wasn't a Jew by birth. He was made that. And he wasn't about to give up his title he was going to have this, this baby killed. In Ezekiel 1, 2 through 28, I was reading this passage and uh, in devotional and just found it to be so uh, intriguing. And I thought it gave such a, a good glimpse of, of our pre-incarnated Lord. Uh, gives us a, a glimpse into the the awesome uh, power and, and uh, what, what, the, what the Lord really is. I'd like to read through this passage and, and make some notes on it. Ezekiel 1, 2 through 28. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jeho- Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kiba River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on the four sides they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings. And their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. So do you get it? Are you are you can you in your minds picture this these creatures who have four faces? They have four wings. Their legs are straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleam like burnished bronze. It gives the impression of glowing metal. Under the wings on the four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them, it says, had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. So you have something that looks like moving along and uniform being. Verse 10 their faces look like this. Each one had the Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side. So their wings were spread upward, it says, and two wings covering its body. (coughs) Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, Without turning as they went, the appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creature. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creature sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. I had to think maybe these will be the messengers that God sends to announce the second coming of Christ. We often wonder, how will the second coming of Christ be announced you know, simultaneously? We don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll be these creatures, creatures like this, many of them. As, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite. This is a gem that radiates a transparent green-gold color. And all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. Whatever that is. It's kind of beyond me how a wheel intersects a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creature faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome. And all four rims were full of eyes all around. So these rims were high and all... And, uh, you know, how high they were, if they were six foot tall, or if they were 20 foot tall, I don't know. (coughs) But it says they were high and awesome. They inspired awe. So they may have been 100 feet tall. Uh, They were full, and all four of the rims were full of eyes, all seen. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. When the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Now, wheels is something that our modern culture can associate with. You talk about wheels, and instantly, if it's a... uh, An adolescent male, why, he'll think of a car, uh, wheels. I remember I had an employee once where we went into a, I've told some of you this story, we went into a, we're driving through a a shopping, uh, I mean a parking area, and I saw this. Uh, It was a brand new Mustang. It was made kind of retro, like the older ones, and one of the muscle cars. And uh, this was back a few years ago. I saw it there, and I said, wow, that's a nice car. It was like one of the first ones that came off the, of, of that style that I'd seen. And uh, ever since, my brother had given me a, a Boss a Mustang model when I was a you know, little six-year-old. I've always kept my eye on the Mustang car as they've changed their design and so forth. And I said, that's a nice car. And this uh, employee that was working for me, he looks over, yes, it is. That's a nice car. I kind of looked at him because I didn't know, I didn't really, he usually didn't get excited about Mustangs or new cars like that, and so I looked again, and where where we were looking at in here, beside the Mustang was an older car, an old car actually, I didn't even catch my attention, but it had big wheels on it, and he was, wow, those are nice wheels, and uh, it was just interesting, our two different perspectives, but you know, these are wheels here that aren't to be compared. And I'm not trying to, I don't want to be irreverent in comparing wheels here, but um, these are wheels that are, are incomparable to the wheels we think about as humans. These are wheels that are alive. They're living. They're, uh, you know, they have eyes all through them. They have spirits in them. And they're a creature that God has specifically designed for his glory and for, it seems like, uh, uh, taking responsibility in the invisible beyond what we see. Verse 22, spread out above the heads of the living creature was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each two had wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, perhaps like Niagara Falls, a roar that that just grips you, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. I've never heard an army, and I hope I don't hear one, but I imagine it's a terrible sound. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. So we have all this above here, these, about the creatures, and it's all about what? It's all a backdrop to what Ezekiel is getting ready to talk about here. And I love this verse that's coming up, verse 25. Then, then there came a voice from above the expanse, over their heads, as they stood with lowered wings. So these creatures had their wings up, they stood with lowered wings when this voice comes. Above the expanse, over their head, was was like a throne of sapphire. Most likely the sapphire is a deep, transparent blue. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, And brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance about him. You get the picture. This is the Lord that we're talking about this morning, the babe in the manger. This is Him come to earth. And when we talk about this, when we read the Luke's account, it's all mysterious. The angels coming down, the baby's born. The the uh, you know the child is conceived of the Holy Ghost, the visions. But and and we think of it as you know God really wanted us to see something. He wanted us to know that this is something special. But when I read this, I think you know this is this is the this is the very least that God could have done to bring Himself to earth, isn't it? I mean, if he would have showed his full glory, how could a man stood it? This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of someone speaking. The Lord, with his awesome attendants serving him, come to visit mankind. This, to me, this Christmas account... Seems to me like only a bit of the steam out of God's holy bubbling pot. This is just a little bit of the, the picture that God uh, is showing us. We read in uh, we read about this, about Jesus going into the up to the temple on uh, at the time that the triumphal entry. That the Pharisees were upset at him and they said, You know, tell these people to, to quit praising you. Tell them to calm down. Tell them to, to not uh, worship you. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, If, if these people wouldn't praise me, the rocks themselves would cry out to praise me. And I believe that's, that's uh, the way. It is even with nature. In in Romans 8, 18 through 21, it's one of the mysteries that I don't think we fully comprehend. But it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. So it was subjected to a sort of not being able to fulfill its full calling not by its own choice, but by the, wo- by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. This verse is, these verses are a bit of a mystery to me, but I think what comes through so clearly is that the creation is here. It's an eager expectation for its full, its full release to, to be able to express itself, to fulfill its calling that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Maybe that's what it's talking about when it talks about a new heaven and new earth that, that the Christian will enjoy. God coming to create a new heaven and new earth. But this is, all ties in, I believe, with what we see here in Isaiah's vision. The great God, the great Lord, come to earth, incarnate in the flesh, being made flesh for us being made subject so that we could somehow learn to know him we could somehow learn to submit to his will and enjoy his fullness and that's what christmas is about for the christian the babe in the manger he's the savior matthew 120 through 23 Joseph's dream, or Joseph's vision, where the angel comes and talks to Joseph, Joseph is disturbed, understandably so. He's disturbed. He doesn't know what's going on. He's wondering what to do with his his espoused wife, how he should put her away. And the angel comes and says, She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. For he shall save his people from their sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, Redeemer, Savior. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the babe that's conceived of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, the one that Herod was trying to get rid of, the one that was announced by the angels to the shepherds. The babe in the manger will be and is, the judge of the universe. Revelations 1, 12 through 18. Again, we're looking at here, if I, if, I can, if I don't do anything more this morning than just uh, invite you to, to uh, mull on the invisible qualities of, of Christ, I'll have considered it a com- my purpose here accomplished. I think these these word pictures or these visions that Ezekiel wrote about, that John wrote about, that Daniel wrote about, I think they're so important for us to get a, a, a little bit of a glimpse into, at least, uh, a picture of into our mind to see see how really, truly great the invisible qualities of, of God are, of Christ are. Revelations 1, 12 through 18, I turned around... To see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands, among the lampstands, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. We're, here we have priestly dress, but it's not the image, or it's not the priestly dress that's supposed to somehow direct one's attention to. Uh, holiness or to the the true God. But this is a priestly dress of the Holy One. So it's it's something I'm sure that it's beyond imagination. Uh, his head and hair were like white like wool. And I don't know that I would feel like this is white like wool like a as of a an elderly man has white hair. I know of one uh, and Seymour, I'm thinking of one right now, Dan P. He has always, as long as I've known him, he's had pure white hair. Uh, very, it's, it's beautiful hair. Uh, but I don't think of it like that so much as I think there's an energy here that's radiating from him. It says his eyes, is white as snow, his eyes were like blazing fire. There's this, this sort of spiritual energy that's coming from. This heavenly man, the son of man, a heavenly, his eyes were blazing like fire, a penetrating gaze, a penetrating eye. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Here again, divine energy. His voice was like that sound of rushing waters, the voice of the divine. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. I think this is the word of God, quick and powerful. It's the invisible word of God, what we don't see. His voice was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Here again, no need of the sun in heaven, for the Lamb will be the light thereof. This is the Son of God. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I'm the first and last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades, and that's my Lord. That's your Lord. That's who we're worshiping here this morning at Christmas time. Yes, He came as a baby in a manger. He came as a child. His birth was announced, but He's so much greater. He's the God of the universe. He's the sustainer, the Savior. He's our Lord. This is the God. That we will meet, I believe on the last day, the judge of the universe. I hold the keys of death and hate. I am the living one. I am the first and last. Herod thought he was the first. He thought he was God or as God, but he didn't have a clue. And there are a lot of people today that are thinking the same things about their lives, and they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue that they aren't first and last. And it's too bad, because by the time they find out, it'll be too late to make those adjustments that are needed to inherit eternal life. Acts 17, 29 through 31. Therefore, since we are God's offsprings as children of God children who have taken the atonement for our sins, Christ's atonement, who have put ourselves under the lordship of Christ. We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Of course, Paul here wasn't talking to children of Christ in the sense of children who have submitted themselves to the Lord. He was talking to people that were made in the image of God, flesh in the image of God. But I believe we can draw that into us and say, remind ourselves of this very, of this important point. We shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. We should have a proper view of God. And a proper view of God is this, the incarnation of Christ, God being made flesh for us that we can become His righteousness. That's the proper view of God for us. We should not think the divine being is made by man's design and skill. The world today is turning Christmas into a holiday of their own making. They're making preparations. They're standing in line in Sam's Club like some of the rest of us do occasionally as well. They're making sure all the food is ready, that the gifts are all put away. not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that That shouldn't be our focus during this season. Our focus should be much higher than that. The world has made commercialism overshadow Christendom. Santa overshadows Christ. The babe in the manger is just that, an infant in a manger. The wise men somehow are, I believe, misconstrued into a form of of a, of a story to encourage buying gifts, or you know, that's the wise men brought gifts, so we give gifts. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that that's wrong, but the wise men they were bringing gifts to Christ. I believe in a different way than what the what we see in in the world as the exchange of gifts. The shepherds in the world's Christmas story add romance to the story. It's, you know, it's, it's beautiful, hark the herald angels sing, and, and it goes along with all the rest of, of the overall big picture Christmas story. The angels serenade the shepherds and add a special touch to the story. And the star, it shines on Christmas night. It, star, it shines serenely and brightly. Well, what does it do for people? Does it just make them feel better? Or does it give them an insight into the Holy One of, of Israel, the, the Christ child, God in flesh come to man? Verse 30 of, of Acts 17 says this, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but today he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. So what's a godly Christmas? I guess is my question. What is a godly Christmas? I think Christmas can be a wonderful time to remember our Lord's incarnation. Our Lord's being made flesh, like it says in John 1.14. Dwelt among us. We behold his glory. Are we beholding the glory of God during this Christmas season? I can say for myself, I am, and I believe you all are too. As we look at these scriptures out of Isaiah, as we look at the scripture out of of, uh, Luke and Matthew, the Christmas story, and as we ponder on those things, it can bring a real boost to our Christian experience. And we need these markers, I believe, to remember the birth of Christ as well as, of course, more importantly, the death and resurrection of Christ. We need these markers to help us bring into focus a time to behold his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. A time to remember the origins of our faith. Where does our faith come from? Do we really believe in Christ? Do we really, is that really where we've put our eternal security? Um, how much do we believe that? I think it's time for introspection, to look into our lives and, and see what really is valuable to us. A time to seek our resurrected Lord and with grateful hearts worship him for humbling himself to his lowly birth among fallen men. A time to celebrate the tidings of great joy that was announced to the shepherds by the holy angels. A time to celebrate the tidings of great joy. It should bring great joy to our as We think of Christ being willing to come, make himself flesh, and live among us. A time of celebrating the day star, that's risen in our hearts as Christians, like's mentioned in in First uh, Peter. Herod is still trying to kill the child's influence in our hearts today. He went to great lengths to kill Christ, to destroy him, and he's going to great lengths today. And I don't think it's a stretch to bring Herod into a, a uh, example of satanic influence his number one tactic, I believe, is to reduce Christ to something less than what he is. If he can bring him down to not being conceived of the virgin Mary, if he can bring him down to not having resurrected, if he can bring him down to simply being another prophet, then he's achieved his goal. He doesn't need to go any further than that. But that's not who Christ is. That's not who the babe in the manger is. The babe in the manger was conceived by the Holy Ghost. He is God incarnate come to earth and he died for us and he rose again that we could become his righteousness. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. He is sustainer. He is God of the universe. The all that rightfully belongs to the once incarnated creator and sustainer and savior, Lord, the devil redirects to some awesome things made by man's hands. You know, this, isn't this awesome? Isn't this wonderful? I remember, and I said this before, I remember when awesome was a word you kept only for truly awesome things. Now you hear something being called awesome as, such as this is an awesome glass of water. It's not. It's, it's just water. It's not awesome. You know, and and... It's been reduced to something much less than it is. But awesome, truly something that's awesome is God made just beyond man's ability to do. And the devil's redirected that focus to things made by man's hand. In the name of Christianity, the devil encourages people to entrap themselves, to indulge upon themselves, to justify financial decisions that they would otherwise not make, putting themselves into financial bondage for the cause of who? Not Christ, but for their own selfish causes, for the cause of Herod. It's a trap we can fall into. And one I thought I'd mention, because I think it's worth keeping in mind, I don't believe Christ would have us in bondage. There was a a funny little story. I'm sorry, I'm out of time here. Funny little story I, I heard that uh, the the husband is, uh, and this is nothing against wives and women because it can work both ways, but the husband tells the wife, let's, you know, let's let's buy something that, well, and let's celebrate Christmas this way in such a way that, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll think about it for the rest of the year. She says, yep, I've got the credit cards, you know, they're all full. We'll be paying, you know. In other words, we'll be paying for them the rest of the year. We'll be remembering it the rest of the year. Um, certainly, that can go both ways. But I think Christmas is so much more of a time of uh, should be so much more of a time of focusing and doing good in in ways that that uh, can be enjoyable, can be a relation enriching, and don't uh, don't have to bite. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. That's who we're worshiping this morning. That's the child we're worshiping. God is still God. The reality of the babe in the manger is awesome. The word was made flesh. It dwelt among us and it's the invisible God today. We do have the comforter here, the Holy Spirit. That's another subject. But we have the day star, and I believe that's what the comforter is, this day star risen in our hearts. And if we have that, we'll be truly a worshipful people and praise God for his gift, for his abundant gift to us that, that he's given us and that he's been willing to come and make himself visible like he did God bless you all this morning as you celebrate this wonderful time of year.